Hey, we're going to jump into the message and we're going to start a new series for the new year entitled, How Do I? How Do I? I love the advent of the internet because with the advent of the internet became something called YouTube. How many of you love YouTube? Like you can learn to do anything on YouTube. I love YouTube because uh, if you need to know how to change out a toilet, you can YouTube that. Uh, I learned how to iron a shirt from watching YouTube, all right? You can learn how to whistle with your fingers on YouTube. How to survive a shark attack, that's on YouTube, I promise you. You can learn anything, almost anything, off of YouTube. Uh, Several years ago, YouTube even saved my marriage. Let me tell you how, because I am a terrible gift wrapper, right? Like uh, uh, Christmas presents. I was like the Walmart sack guy. Literally, Charity got several years of Christmas. Hey, Lucky knows what I'm talking about. He's like, yeah, me too. Several years of Christmas presents were put under the tree in Walmart sacks for Charity. That's just not very classy, is it? And so I decided one year, you know what? I'm trying to be a better husband. I should learn how to wrap a present. So I YouTubed it. Man, I could work at Christmas times at the mall when they used to have the wrappers. You know, that could be me. Why? Because you can learn almost anything off of YouTube. Several months ago, Charity and I were doing some research and we were on YouTube and this little thing popped up over at the side. It says, do you believe that you can't draw anything? We can teach you. And I said, that's me, can't draw stick men. And so Charity and I watched this YouTube video of this guy who taught you how to draw cartoons. And before long, I could draw cartoons. Why? Because you can learn to do almost anything off of YouTube. The problem is YouTube doesn't teach you how to do everything in life. There's some nuances in life that YouTube will not teach you. How many of you men, you got married, you stayed with your in-laws the first time and you saw your mother-in-law in a moo-moo, right? YouTube doesn't show show you how to wipe that image from your mind, okay? That is there forever. I wish YouTube could remove that. This side of the crowd thought it was funny. You guys didn't think it was funny at all. They thought it was funny. They're still suffering from the consequences of that, right? Or or worse, you sit next to your mother-in-law and you're like, I don't know if I can laugh right now or what. Yes, we do provide marital and family counseling at the church, right? Like YouTube doesn't show you how to wipe that from your mind. I was thinking, Charity and I have been dating for a long time. We didn't start dating until we were 40, okay, 40 years old. But we went to have our very first kiss. Never kissed anybody before. This was incredibly awkward. There was a lot of awkwardness and slobber, and then whatever Charity was doing, it was terrible. Why? Because YouTube doesn't teach you everything in life. You guys are like, can I laugh at that? Yeah, go ahead, laugh. We do now. It was terrible. Why? Because YouTube can't teach you everything. And unfortunately, sometimes we face big questions in life that YouTube will not be able to give us the answer for. And one of the biggest questions that probably all of us are going to have from time to time is this, how do I know the will of God for my life? Like, How many of you have ever had that question? God, what is your will for my life? That is a question that I think every single Christian is going to wrestle with at some point in their life. And today, that's a question we're going to try to answer. If you would, please stand with me today as we read God's word. We're going to be reading out of Proverbs chapter number three. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Proverbs chapter number three. I'll give you just a moment. We're going to start reading in verse number one. And the scripture says this. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For lengths of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. 
bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understandings. And all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will bring healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's pray over the word today. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is already anointing, God. This is your word for us, and I pray today that as we study it, as we dive into it, that it would speak to us, that it would make our hearts come alive, and Lord, ultimately, that it would show us what your will is for our life. Lord, I pray that you would bring direction and clarity to our hearts and our minds today as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As I said a moment ago, one of the most sought-after questions in the life of a believer is, what is God's will for my life? This is a, a question that we ask a lot of times in a variety of seasons for a variety of reasons. We all encounter different difficult circumstances and situations that lead us to a place that cause us to seek God's will and wonder what God's will is for our life. Sometimes we are going down the road of life and we come to points that there's a fork in the road. We come to a place where we have to make a decision and we're not sure if we should go right or we should go left. Should I marry Martha or should I marry Mary? Should I take this job or that job? Should I attend this college or that college? Sometimes we come to life and we come on the journey of life to points of trial. We hit a trial on the journey that upends our dreams and our plans, and we're left wondering, what should I do next? God, why have you brought me to this place? What is your will for my life in the middle of this difficult season? Sometimes, frankly, we come to points in life where we encounter boredom. There's just an uneasiness to our spirits. There's not peace in our life. We're, we're bored, we're discontent, and we're seeking God. This is actually pretty common for Christians who have been serving the Lord for a while. We, we come to this place and we say, God, I feel like I'm stuck. I feel like I'm in a rut. I'm not accomplishing what I feel like you've called me to do. What is the meaning? What is the purpose? What is going to bring some excitement to my life? So how do I know the will of God when I encounter all of these different situations in life. This is a a question that we often wrestle with, and and it's difficult at times to come up with the answer. If it was easy to know the will of God, we would not ask the question very often, but it has been my observation as a pastor that this is one of the most common questions that we have, and so we are going to dive into this question today and hopefully bring some clarity from the Word of God as to what is the will for your life and what is the will of of God for my life. Now, to do this, we need to really start with understanding the question that we are asking. It seems simple on the surface, what is the will of God for my life? But when you really start thinking about it and studying who God is, this is actually quite a complex question. What is the will of God and how do I know the will of God? We need to understand the different aspects to the will of God. Theologically, when you study who God is in Scripture, you see that there are different facets, there's different aspects to His will, and we need to be able to differentiate those things 
in order to really understand the question that we are asking God and understanding and applying the word of God to our life. And so I want to take just a few moments and I want to teach you about these different aspects of his will. And the reason why I want to do this is when we understand the will of God and we understand how God has revealed himself through his word, then we can understand what his will is for our life in the different situations that we are in. So Number one, the different aspects of the will of God is you have to understand the sovereign will of God versus the will of humanity. The will of God versus the will of humanity. What we have seen and what we understand when we read scripture is that God is sovereign. He is sovereign, and what that means is that he has the final word and the final say because he is all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. God is sovereign. He can and he will do whatever he wants to do. However, in his sovereignty, he has given free will to humanity. You and I have free will. Your children have free will. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That can be tiring at times because your children have free will. You wish they would just do what you tell them, but they don't because they have free will. Connor's getting trouble on the front row. My goodness. We'll pray for you afterwards, buddy. Free will. We have free will. You have free will. Your children have free will. And God in his sovereignty has given us that free will. Humanity had the decision and had to make the decision to either love and honor and obey God. God did not force this decision upon them. Now, he shared his counseled will and his desired will, but he did not enforce his sovereign will on humanity. God told Adam and Eve, do not eat from the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will die. This was his counseled will. He was showing them the results of what would happen if they sinned and they disobeyed. He was giving them wise counsel, if you will, saying, look, do not do this or you're going to die. And God also showed them his desired will. He did not desire for them to do this. He desired for them to be in relationship and to be free from sin. But man had a free choice. And in his free will, he disobeyed God. And so what we see and what we understand about the sovereign will of God is that he has limited himself to some extent in regards to humanity's free will. Now, ultimately, we can read scripture. We understand that the the will of man never outdoes the sovereignty of God in creation. God's sovereignty does come to pass before the end of this creation. We see that when we read the book of Revelation. We see that God ultimately redeems his creation. He redeems his children who have surrendered to him, and he ultimately brings everything back into alignment under his sovereignty. Now, the next layer of the will of God that we have to understand is that there is the revealed will of God versus the hidden will of God. God, in his sovereignty, has revealed some of his will to humanity. He has revealed some of the things that he wants us to understand, and that will can be found within the passages of Scripture. In the pages of Scripture, we see that God has revealed how humanity should live, how salvation will happen, how all things will be restored at the end of time. This book, the Bible, is the revealed will of God. You can always know the revealed will of God anytime you start reading Scripture. And that's what we see in this passage in Proverbs chapter number three. We're seeing the revealed will of God. This is, the, this is how God desires for us to live. And we're going to dive into this passage here in a moment. 
Now, contrary, contrast to the, the revealed will of God is the hidden will of God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may know all the words of this law. What this passage is telling us is that there are secret things that belong only to God. There are things that God knows or God desires and God wills that he has not revealed to humanity, and he has no intentions of telling us because it's none of our business. We can try to figure them out, but we will not be able to. A perfect example of this is the rapture of the church. The scripture makes it clear that one day Jesus is coming to rapture his, his believers, to, to carry up his believers to be with him into heaven forever. You can read about that throughout the pages of scripture. But Jesus also said, no one knows the date or time in which this is going to happen. This is something that the Father knows that he will not ever tell you. It's going to be a surprise. That's some of the hidden will of God. God has no intentions of ever revealing that to us. Now, that's kind of an extreme example. Sometimes things that hit a little bit closer to home for us is there are aspects to life that God has not revealed to us the why. Suffering is a perfect example that falls in this category. There are aspects to suffering that we do not have the answer to. Why do people suffer? That knowledge only belongs to God. And in our desire to know the will of God, the hidden will of God, oftentimes we dabble in things we should not dabble in. Sometimes we believe people we should not believe. Sometimes we, we look into horoscopes or mediums. Those are things that we try to figure out things that God has not revealed to us, and those things are dangerous and they're contrary to the word of God. And the next aspect of the will of God is the active will versus the passive will of God, or the decretive will of God versus the permissive will of God. The active decree of will of God is the things that God wills to happen simply by his power and his omnipotence. When he wills it, it will happen. A perfect example of this is creation. God said, let there be light and by the power of his will, light was formed, light began to exist because he decreed it to happen. However, there are certain things that uh, God allows and he, he allows to happen in his passive will. A perfect example of that is God has given us his law in scripture. An example of that is God says, do not steal. That's his will. His will is that none of us would steal ever. But how many of you know that people steal, people do wrong, people sin, and God allows these things in his passive will to happen. This is not a sanction of sin by any means. He allows these things to happen in the hopes of restoring humanity. So you have the sovereign will of God, you have the revealed will of God, you have the decretive will of God, and the last aspect of this is you have the prescriptive will of God. And this is where we want to zone in this morning. The prescriptive will of God is how he intends for his people to live every day. His prescriptive will is the very plan that God has given to us through Scripture that you can apply to your life so that you can live for him. And here is God's will for you. Are you ready? What is God's will for your life? You can just take this home. You can quote this to yourself. I'm about to tell you what God's will is for your life from Scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse number 3, the first part of that verse says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. If you want to know what the will of God is for your life, the will of God is your sanctification. The will of God is for your sanctification. 
So when we ask the question, what is God's will for my life? The answer will always be sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? Sanctification is a word that we find in Scripture that in its simplest form means to become more like Jesus. So God's will for your life is to be more like Jesus today than you were yesterday. God's will for your life is your sanctification. It's always to be more like Jesus. The scripture declares to us in Psalms 119 that the the Bible is a lamp for our feet and a a light for our path. And I think that's very important to understand, a lamp for our feet and a light to our path. So we see where we're at. We see where we need to go. What the Bible does not tell us about itself is that it's a GPS. And I think what a lot of us are looking for when we say, God, what is your will for my life is that we want to know right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. But when you start to, you start to look into Scripture, what you see is, is that oftentimes we don't get those answers. When we ask the question, God, what is your will for my life? What we're often asking is, do I live in Boston, Chicago, or Jay, Oklahoma? We ask the question, should I be a preacher, a teacher, or a truck driver, right? Should I, should I be, am I going to be pretty? Am I going to be rich? How many kids am I going to have? Who should I marry? Those are the questions that we ask when we say, God, what is your will for my life? But what we see is that those questions are never answered in Scripture. We cannot open the Bible and see what our vocation should be. We cannot open the Bible and see how many kids we should have or are going to have. We cannot open the Bible and see what college we should go to. And that raises a very interesting question. Why is that? I mean, wouldn't it be easier if we could just open up the Bible and it told us what to do every step of the way? Wouldn't it be easier if this book wasn't just a lamp, but that it was a GPS, that it gave us play-by-play of life? That would make it a lot easier. But the truth is, ultimately, God is more worried about your sanctification than any other issue. See, we're worried about where we should go to college. God is worried that you're going to make it to heaven. We're worried if we're going to be rich or poor. God is worried, are you more like my son today than you were yesterday? It's about priorities. I cannot open my Bible and see where I should live, but I can open up my Bible and see that God's plan for my life is sanctification and how I should walk that out. Now, why did God choose to focus on our sanctification in Scripture? Why didn't he just give us a play-by-play in life? And here's what I believe. God, through his word, is trying to teach us to know his will through principle. God is trying to teach us to know his will through principle, right? Uh, This passage, it says, My son, do not forget my teaching and do not let your heart keep, excuse me, but let your heart keep the commandments for they will lengthen of your days and your years of your life and peace they will add to you. And this proverb, it starts out saying, listen to the teaching, learn how to apply it to your life. It doesn't give us a play-by-play. And here's what God's trying to show us. He's trying to teach us that he gives us principle to live by. When we know the will of God, we will be more like Jesus. So when the more I know Jesus, the more I know his will. The more I'm like Jesus, the more I think like Jesus, the more I see the world through the eyes of Jesus, the more I'm led by the Holy Spirit, the more I'm going to be in line with the will of God. I'm going to want to honor God in every single decision of my life. What we see is that God teaches us principle that we are to live by. And this is exactly how we raise our kids. This is exactly how we want our kids to grow up. Think about it. We raise our kids by giving them values, by giving them principles, so that when they are on their own, they know how to make good decisions based upon them, right? 
most of us do not want our kids living with us the rest of our life, right? That is terrible to think about. Most of us, we want our kids in our home. We want them to grow up. We want them to be smart and wise in the Lord. And we want to say, get out of my house and go live on your own, right? That is the goal. We're trying to send them out. Because we know that we can't monitor our kids every single minute. And most of us hate the idea of having to hover over our kids and tell them every decision that they should make in life. None of us want to do that. None of us want to say, hey, today I think you need to wear the blue jeans with the red shirt and put your shoes on. That gets annoying after a while. I have an eight-year-old. I have to tell him to put his shoes on over and over again. I don't want to do that. What we see from Scripture is that God often leads his people in principle. God often leads his people in principle. And what you also see in Scripture is that God gave humanity free will. We talked about it a moment ago. And this is why it's so important to understand the sovereignty of God versus the will of man. God gave you free will. God has given you a sober mind through the Holy Spirit. He's given you talents and treasures, and he's given you principles. Your job and my job is to take what God has given us, to seek godly counsel, pray diligently, and make wise decisions based upon what God has placed in our life. Now, when we ask, what is the will of God, we don't like that answer because that's harder to live by principle than just being told what to do. It's harder to live by principle than just being told what to do. You see this play out throughout Scripture. I told you that God often leads us through principle and he leads us on a journey. Why is that? Because journey refines you. Journey refines you. There's one thing I want to do when I get the time, and I don't know if, when this is going to happen, but it's on my bucket list before I die. I want to hike the Appalachian Trail. And if you ever looked into it, basically you start in Georgia and you end up in Maine, right? And you walk the whole thing. And I think that would be just a blast to do. Charity's ecstatic to do it with me. It takes about six months, all right? So six months of living in a tent stinking, all right? But it's on my bucket list to do that. Now, I could just drive to Georgia, get on an airplane, and fly to Maine, end up at the same destination, right? But what's the point in that? Because I haven't gone through the journey. And God could teleport you from one place to the other spiritually. He could make it happen in an instant. In fact, God did it literally one time. You can read it about it in the book of Acts. This dude, Philip, came up out of the water, and then boom, he disappeared. He ran up somewhere else. Why did God do that? I don't know. It's the only time we read about it in Scripture. But most of the time, what you see is that God leads people on a journey. God could have taken every single one of the Hebrew people in Egypt when they were in slavery, snapped his finger, and they could have ended up in the promised land. But he didn't do that. He led them on a journey. And in the process of the journey, he taught them principle. He taught them his law. He taught them that he was their savior. He showed them why. Because the journey and the process refines who you are. And that's what God wants to do to our life. Now, obviously, I need to stop and make some disclaimers at this point. Does this mean that I should not pray for specific direction and wisdom? Well, of course not. You should pray for specific wisdom and God's guidance in your situation. Jesus told us to seek, to ask, and to knock. And many times, God will give you specific direction. He will give you specific answers. He will tell you it's time to go right instead of going left. We see this play out in Scripture. King David's a perfect example of that. It seems like every time he prayed, God gave him a specific word and specific direction. On the other hand, you can look many times and you can see that God just guides people and he didn't always give them specific go right, go left. We read about this in the life of Paul in the book of Acts. He's 
He's on a missions journey for Jesus, and, and he talks about a time when he was just trying to go right, but he didn't really feel like that was right, so he thought about going over here, and he said everywhere he just felt held back, and then finally he had a dream and a vision. He knew to go over there. So what you see is that Paul was just kind of going until God told him to do something different. What you see a lot of times in Scripture is that God doesn't always give specific go right, go left. Sometimes we just have to use what God has given us. So hopefully at this point, you understand the will of God and you see how the will of God works. God is ultimately more worried about your sanctification, and the journey often refines the sanctification process in your life. And that's why God's number one will for you is your sanctification, is to be more like Jesus. And so when I'm trying to be more like Jesus, I can be confident in his word and through his provision and through what he has placed in my life that I will make a God-honoring decision. Now, this whole concept of knowing the will of God is often is obviously deep. So how do we flesh it out? How do, we, how do I become more like Jesus when I make sober decisions and I make wise decisions for my life? Well, Proverbs chapter number three, this passage that we just read, shows us how to do that. And very quickly, I want to point some things out to you. This passage starts with verses one and two. It says, my son, do not forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commandments for a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Basically, what this passage is saying is, look, hear my words. These are how you were created to live. This is how you were designed to live. If you live this way, you will be living a sanctified life. You will be coming more like Jesus. You will know God's will for your life. You will make sober judgments. You will do God-honoring things for your life. This is how you should live. And within this passage, you see the five wills for your life. And very quickly, I want to show them to you. The first is this. God's will for you is to obey his commandments. If you want to live a sanctified life, it starts with obeying the commandments of God, which is to love God and love others. Look at what verses three and four say. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Love and faithfulness is the covenantal terms of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Before Jesus came, uh, there was the Old Testament, and God gave his law. There was 615 laws in the Old Testament you had to follow if you wanted to do everything just right. That's a lot of work, amen? And guess what? No one could keep them. You know we can't keep them because most of us are going to speed on the way home. We're going to break the law just to get to lunch, from church no less, right? So these people, especially Mimi, we've seen her drive. She's laughing hard. <laughs> Mimi needs new tires on her car, just burn them dudes off. So these people, they couldn't keep the law, right? But if you, were to, if you were to boil them all down, the two basic things is to love God and love people. And if you love God and love people, you are always obeying God. I don't worship, I love God, so I don't worship idols. I love people, so I don't sin against them. I love God, so I honor him with my body. I love people, so I don't take advantage of them. To love God and to love people is always going to require faithfulness. It's always going to require faithfulness. If you're going to love God and love people, go back to, it says, steadfast love. If you're going to love God and love people, you're always going to be faithful in that. That's just the Old Testament. New Testament, we see this pattern keep playing out. 
If you're going to live your life faithfully loving God and loving people, it's, it's going to require a covenantal commitment in your heart to do that. Love and faithfulness is the fruit of a Christian life. This is the foundation of God's will for your life, to walk in love and faithfulness. How do I know God's will? Walk in love and walk in faithfulness. If you answer that that way every time, you will be honoring God. That is God's will for your life. That is the essence of what it's like to be more like Jesus. How do I love my kids? Or how do I raise my kids? That's a question. God, what, how do I raise my kids? You've given them to me. How do I do that? You love them and you stay faithful to them. How do I love my wife? Marriage is kind of tough. Love her and stay faithful to her. How do I treat my coworker? Love them and be faithful to them. The scripture says to tie the steadfast love and faithfulness around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So what this passage is trying to tell us is that the will of God for your life is that love and faithfulness will become a part of your DNA, part of your nature. Love and faithfulness is how you act every time because it's a natural response to whatever situation you are in. And as you allow God and the will of God in this area start to produce fruit in your life, you will start to see that you start to act more like Jesus in whatever situation that you are in. The reason why this is the will of God for your life is that this is the character of God. God is always loving and he is always faithful. And so when we respond in kind the way that God would, we are imitating his life. We are becoming like him. We're acting like him. And that is the sanctification process that he has for you and for me. The second thing that we see is this. God's will for your life is to trust him with the hidden things, to trust him with the hidden things. This is the prescriptive will for God for your life. There are certain things that God has hidden from us And we have to trust the Lord that when he hides something from us, it's for our own good. Here's what verses 5 and 6 say. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. As we said a moment ago, there are certain things in the will of God that he has hidden from us. And he doesn't always tell us why things happen. And God leads us in a way that we don't always understand. And the scripture tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. And there are certain times in life where you come to different pivotal moments and you don't understand them and you're saying, God, what do I do next? And what God simply says, I just need you to trust me and don't lean on your own understandings. There are a lot of situations that you and I will never have the answer to. We will not know why it happened. And if we had the answers, we believe that it would make it easier and that we would feel better if we were more informed. Amen? We just want to know why. That's the question. God, why? So when tragedy and trial comes, we cry out for God's will. But what we're really asking God for is the comfort of understanding. Unfortunately, sometimes you're not going to get that. Unfortunately, sometimes... God isn't wanting you to understand. And he's just simply asking you not to lean on your own understandings. Because if we lean on what we can understand, it's like leaning on a broken stick and ultimately we're going to fall on our face. We have to trust in God. We have to lean on him. And when we lean on who he is, when we lean on his goodness, his mercy, his love, his faithfulness, then we're leaning on a sure foundation. We can only trust God when we acknowledge him. Now, what does that mean? What does that word acknowledge him mean? In this passage, the verb acknowledge is is actually a verb, and it means to know him. 
to know him. So we're not simply saying uh, lean on the Lord and confess him. What we're saying is lean on the Lord and to know him. When I know the Lord intimately and I know him in fellowship, what I know is that I can trust him. You don't trust people until you really know them. You shouldn't trust them until you really know them. And the problem is a lot of us, we're in a difficult situation and we're trying to trust in the Lord, but we're having a difficult time doing that. Why? Because we don't know him. Once you know someone deeply, then you know if you can trust them or not. And I encourage you, if you're here today and you're struggling trusting God, you have to let some walls down where you can come to him and you start to know him in an intimate way. Because when you get to that place where you know him, then you know you can trust him. You know that he's never going to leave you. He's never forsake you. That he's always going to treat you the right way. When you know someone intimately, you can predict how they're going to act. Right now, Charity thinks this is fun at my house. She says I take long showers. All right, but I think a lot in the shower. Anybody do that? Like where you think, like that's your thinking place? Okay, so I'm the weird one. Nope. Either that or you're just embarrassed to raise your hand. Listen, be confident here, okay? Like that's where I think. Like I do all my thinking. It's quiet in there and everything. So she makes fun of me. She says, you take a shower like a woman. So now she has this deal where she opens the door and she says, are you done in there, Betty? And she changes the name every time. Every day it's something new. Are you done in there, Linda? Or are you done in there? You know, I can't think of any more girl names. <laughs> Insert girl name here. Every day she's been doing that. And I've gotten to the point where I can predict her doing that. Why? Because I know her very well. And when you know somebody in an intimate way, you can predict how they're going to act. And the more you know the Lord, the more you can predict how he's going to act in your life. And you can predict that he's going to be faithful to you, that he's, that he's going to be loving to you, that he's going to be merciful to you, and he's always going to take care of you. Third thing is the will of God for your life is to walk in humility. Verses 7 and 8 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Humility will help you to know the will of the Lord for your situation. Why? Because when you're humble, you say, I don't have all the answers and I can't do this myself. When you're humble, you know that you need to seek counsel. Who do you seek counsel from? You seek counsel from the Lord. You seek counsel from other people. When you're humble, you know that your ideas might not be the best and that you have to get outside counsel. You have to get outside ideas and outside resources. And also when you're humble, you know that you need help. How many of you hate asking for help? I'm going to raise both hands because I hate asking for help. But sometimes you get into a situation in life when you can't do it on your own. How many of you have that friend that have moved like 30 times and every time they move, they call you, right? Yeah, I had that friend too. I didn't like that friend. I don't know why we were friends, right? There's a great example of moving though in humility is that very rarely can you move on your own. And if you can move on your own, that's because you don't have a gun safe or a piano, all right? If you have one of those two things, you're going to need a friend. And so many of us are trying to move to a new season of life, and we're trying to do it on our own, and we're trying to drag the piano by ourselves, and it doesn't work. You need a friend. You need somebody with you that can help you. You need the Lord on your side, but sometimes you need godly counsel who can speak into your life and bring perspective to your situation that you can't see on your own. That's the... That's the wonderful thing about seeking outside counsel. That's why the Bible says with many advisors, victory is assured. You might get lucky and do it on your own, but if you want to guarantee success, then you need to get some many godly advisors in your life. You get two or three people that you can trust, that you can show your situation and say, I just need perspective. And that perspective is going to do one of two things. It's going to bring up something you hadn't thought about, or it's going to confirm the direction you feel like you need to go anyways. 
when you bring things to the Lord and you say, God, honestly, I'm allowing you to speak into this. You've given me a sober mind. I've read your word. This is a situation I'm in. Here's the direction I feel like I need to go. But God, if I'm about to run off a cliff or I'm about to go in the ditch, please tell me. That's an okay prayer to pray. And I believe with all my heart that if you have done everything and you're trying to honor God with your life, you're reading his word, you're, you're living for his will, and you're about to go in the ditch and you give God an opportunity to speak, he's going to speak. Jesus often compared our relationship the same way we raise kids. It's an easy analogy. Jesus said, hey, if your son asked for a fish, would you give him a rock? No. Well, imagine your kids come to you and say, hey, dad, I'm thinking about building this fort and it's going to be really awesome. I'm going to jump off of that onto the trampoline into the pool. Do you think that's a good idea? You're like, eh, I've seen you jump. I think that's a really bad idea. We would tell them that, right? Why? Because we love them. And when you say, when you come to God and say, God, you've given me a sober mind. I've read your word. Here's where I'm at. I think I should go right. Is this right? And start praying about it. And you're wrong. God ain't going to let you do something stupid. But we've got to be humble enough to ask. Fourth, God's will is for you to honor the Lord in everything you do. Verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruit of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with new wine. When I read this passage, what I see is that God wants us to make a priority in our life of everything goes for his glory. Everything that comes into my life, I'm bringing the first fruits of it to the Lord. Meaning, God, you are always my priority in everything. One of my favorite quotes is A.W. Tozer. He says, it is not what a man does that determines if his work is sacred or secular. It's why he does it. That should be very humbling for us because when we put all things for the Lord, everything that we do is for God's glory, then we're honoring God with the first fruits of our life. That goes for a pastor, by the way, too. You don't think that standing in a pulpit could be about the guy behind the, behind the podium? Absolutely could. So even I, as a pastor, have to make sure that God is getting the first of everything. And we have to take God the first of everything. The scripture tells us, Matthew tells us, uh, Jesus tells us, Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. A lot of times we're coming and saying, God, I, I need you to bless me in this area. What is your will for my life, for my finances, or my job, or the direction? And I think what God is simply saying, just put me first and I'll take care of the rest. It's exactly what he's telling us in this passage. Just seek his kingdom first and his Righteousness is another way of saying seek sanctification for your life, and then all these things will be added to you. When we seek the sanctification of the Lord and we seek to honor him the first fruit of everything else, he's making a promise, I will take care of the rest, which is good because sometimes we come to a point where we need a miracle in our life and we can't come up with it. When we trust God, he can take care of the rest. The fifth thing is this, God's will for your life is that you would heed your father's discipline. Verses 11 and 12 say this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. One of the hardest things as a child is that, is that sometimes the Lord leads us to a place where we have to heed his discipline. You ever been going through life and you mess up really bad and God reminds you of that and you're like, hey, you need to fix that. Happens to me all the time. I'll say something or I'll do something. The Lord's conviction will strike my heart. God's will for your life is that you would heed his discipline. Why? Because it goes back to the very first thing we talked about. When the Lord disciplines us, he's trying to bring correction to our life so that we can be sanctified and we can be more like his son. And it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he does love you that he brings discipline to our life. 
And so we need to heed the leading of the Holy Spirit and the tugging of the Holy Spirit on our heart. When we hit those places where God wants to do something in our life, where he wants to lead us a new direction, or he wants to correct something that's in our life, we have to heed that rebuke, that reproof in our life so that we can be more like Jesus. I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. These are the five principles of the will of God for your life. We've talked about all these different aspects of the will of God for your life, but ultimately, the will of God for your life is your sanctification. And if you're going to seek that sanctification, that requires you to obey his commandments. It requires you to trust in him and the hidden things. That requires you to walk in humility. That requires you to honor the Lord in everything you do, and that requires you to heed his discipline. When you look at Scripture, those five principles encapsulate what it means to be a Christian. And I truly believe with all my heart that if you live by those five principles, you will not miss the will of the Lord for your life. I believe you won't because you're doing everything that's required for you to put yourself in position to hear God's will for your life. Sometimes he will speak very specifically to you. Go right, go left. Other times, he will put you in a place and you have to make a decision. But because you're living these five ways, you're going to make the right decision because you're honoring God. God is giving us, sometimes he gives us freedoms. And we have to embrace that. And I know that seems weird for us. But I believe it's like this. I was thinking about this. When you look at scripture, God so many times allowed his people to kind of make their own decision in the moment. I started thinking about this. God has given us freedoms. He has given us free will. Imagine you tell your kids, hey, go outside and play. And so your kids are like, okay, it's a great day outside. The weather's beautiful. And so your kids go outside and they're building forts or playing football or whatever. And you look out and as your kids are doing what you've told them to do, they're outside playing. They just kind of start migrating closer and closer to the road. So you see one kid drop back for a pass and you see your other son just, I mean, they're going deep and they're running towards the road and you see them and you're like, man, they're getting, the end zone probably doesn't need to be the ditch right before the road. And so you see they're getting closer and closer to danger. What are you going to do as a parent? You're going to go out and say, hey guys, why don't you turn and play the other way in the yard? Don't, don't go towards the danger. Your kids are doing exactly what you told them to do. They're outside obeying you. They're just kind of drifting towards danger. And you as a parent are going to correct them and bring them back in where they're in safety. And I think that's how we need to approach the will of God for our life. When we do these five things and we're seeking the sanctification of the Lord for our own life, we need to be confident in living life. We need to be confident in making decisions. We need to be confident that God is not going to allow us to lead ourselves into danger. Because my fear is what I think happens for a lot of us is we're seeking after the will of God. And sometimes God just doesn't want to tell us and he wants to give us freedom to make the decision. And sometimes we paralyze ourselves for fear of making a bad decision. But when you're living according to these five things, you are opening yourself and positioning yourself to hear from the Lord. And I promise that the Lord will either, number one, speak to you, or number two, when you start to get close to the road, he'll bring you back in and he'll bring you to safety. If you would, please stand with me this morning.